This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And joining me, as always, is my fellow host, Daniel. Huh? What? And the goddess editor herself, Ariel. Would you stop calling <laughs> that? So, we are here to talk about the lovely... An oh-so-belated and long-awaited last Resident Evil movie, the final chapter. So, Daniel. Yeah? Do you have a synopsis for me? What's that? Shut up and do it. (laughs) All right. So, I'm going to drop some information on you now. Some smart bombs? I don't know about that. It's probably not smart. Um, So, its worldwide release was supposed to be September 12th, 2014 but it got pushed back twice. Finally, to January 27th, 2017. Do we know why it got pushed back? It probably did list it, but we'll ignore that. (laughs) The other date it was supposed to come out was September 2nd, 2016. So it went from 2014 to a two-year delay then to an additional year. Or, well, close to it. I would say it's only three or four months after that. But I'll give you the movies that it had to compete with when it did come out. Oh, boy. <laughs> Kung Fu Yoga. <laughs> I don't even remember that movie. Non compete. Uh, gold. Non compete. Uh, and A Dog's Purpose. Okay. Okay, that was a good one. Ouch, yeah. my but heart. None of them were horror. <laughs> So we had that plus going for us. So if you wanted to see a horror movie around that time, you're stuck with Resident Evil, unless you think A Dog's Purpose is horror because it's like more of a... It's a horror on your emotions, Exactly, that's for see? Sure. So if you, if you feel that way... <laughs> oh. So it was shot in South Africa as well as Australia. The money grossed was a little over $312 million in theaters. How much did it cost to produce, though? It only cost $40 million in budget. Okay, all right. They made they made bank. Fun part is IMDb didn't care much for it. <laughs> as it only basically got half half of its total rating. It only gave it about a 5 out of 5 out of 10. 
And according to Rotten Tomatoes, it also had a very low percentage. So overall, the movie was not really well accepted. We might have had a Welcome to Raccoon City on our hands here. This was way worse than that. It was not well received widely. I remember that. That's mostly what I have on it for your knowledge drops. <laughs> wasn't very smart, Bomb. <laughs> I told you it probably wasn't. Uh, well, Ariel, what do you got for us? Well, let's talk some plot. And this is a hefty plot indeed. It's a plot that just kind of goes everywhere. <laughs> I just And it's long. So, all right, bear with me here. So, Dr. James Marcus, one of the founders of the Umbrella Corporation, has a daughter named Alicia who suffers from progeria, a fatal disease that causes rapid premature aging. And he tries to figure out a way to get a cure, which he finally finds with the T-virus. It's a miraculous find that could cure thousands of life-threatening diseases. It saves Alicia's life, but it has some side effects, as you can imagine. Another recipient of the virus treatment, a young boy collapses and chokes to death on a cable car and transforms into a zombie and attacks a nearby passenger. When the cable car reaches the top, all are either dead or undead. And in the fallout, Marcus and Isaacs argue furiously about what should be done with their invention. So, real quick. So we know that the kid was treated with this same... With the T-virus, yeah. See, I never knew that. I just thought the kid had freaked the hell out or something. <laughs> Okay, sorry, go ahead. So, Marcus claims that it's too dangerous and wants the project shut down. But Isaacs, knowing that Umbrella is going to be ruined in the fallout, has Wesker kill Marcus with a plastic bag. Alicia walks... <laughs> sorry, that's my fault. I was laughing a little bit at that. <laughs> just just the, the choice of the death, like what they wanted to use. Of all things, too, like Wesker using a plastic bag. Uh, he's more of just a knife in the back kind of person. Yeah. It's very anticlimactic for Wesker. Yeah. Anyways. I don't agree. Bag the head. <laughs> he could have punched through his skull, but no, he decided to use a bag. Not my Wesker, because my Wesker wouldn't die from a door either, which we'll get to that. <laughs> Alicia walks down the stairs to see what's going on. But Isaac shoes her away, saying that everything is just fine. It was not. Your dad's dead. <laughs> so, with Marcus dead, Isaacs has de facto control of Umbrella, though Alicia has inherited her father's stock. But her young age prevents her from assuming the responsibilities for it, and she's taken under Isaacs's guardianship. Umbrella transforms into a powerful militaristic organization through continued T-virus research and the hive is constructed under Raccoon City, controlled by the Red Queen, whose AI is based on Alicia's appearance. The virus escapes from containment and soon infects Raccoon City, requiring the U.S. government to destroy it in the hopes of ending the outbreak, and of course, it fails. 
And after 10 years of ruin, the few remaining uninfected humans head to Washington, D.C. to make their last stand, unaware they are walking into a trap. So this is kind of where the movie now begins. Alice wakes up to find herself alone in the city. The White House is in ruin and no survivors can be found. Alice tries to drink water from the National Mall, but is attacked by a Javo and is only saved by the barbed wire surrounding the pond. Alice, without weapons, is forced to merely kick him away and she runs to find weapons. She picks up a few basic guns and is about to walk out when a Capepio rises from the rubble and attacks her. She finds a Humvee and runs into it for safety and gets it started up. And after a long chase by the Capepio, she finally kills it with a Claymore anti-personnel mine from within the vehicle. So then she heads into an abandoned building to recover. And she hears a siren and investigates the source, going into an underground bunker full of weapons, but devoid of human life. The Red Queen having been tracking her via satellite, communicates via fax machine and computer screen. The Red Queen claims that she has switched sides and is working against Umbrella now and is willing to help Alice. She says that Alice has 48 hours before the last of humanity will die. She tells her to head to the hive and resets her watch. Alice is wary, as she should be, and demands why she should trust her. The Red Queen says that inside the hive is a cure for the T-virus, a potent airborne antivirus that, when released, will kill any T-virus-infected creatures on contact, essentially stopping the pandemic. She also says that there's a chance for Alice to get revenge on Wesker and Isaacs. So all of that convinces Alice, and she tells the Red Queen she'll be there. She takes a nearby car and heads off towards raccoon city so while driving past some of the undead in her car alice's tires get shredded by some barricades and her car crashes she looks at her watch and starts off on foot while walking towards a nearby overpass she spots a bmw motorcycle underneath it she runs up to it but is wary when she sees the umbrella logo on it she carefully approaches the motorcycle is suddenly ambushed by an umbrella soldier hiding underneath the rubble. She steps back to dodge, but finds herself surrounded by four more. She sets off a trap in which a rope comes down, pulls her upside down towards the ceiling, and renders her immobile. The soldiers start beating her with nightsticks, and she just laughs, asking, Is that all they got? One of the soldiers rush her and she quickly grabs him using his gun to kill the other soldiers and frees herself from the trap. With the coast clear, she then gets on the motorcycle and tries to turn it on, but gets electrocuted by it. Finding that it only works for authorized umbrella personnel. And of course she goes unconscious again for like the 500th time in these movies. She then wakes up in a small cell, accompanied by other prisoners, and asks where the fuck she is. Isaac, Isaacs enters the cell, surprising Alice that he's still alive, and he reveals that the Isaacs she killed was a clone, and then begins to question her. When Alice refuses to answer, he announces she shall be cast out. 
When they do, Alice finds that her cell was within a giant umbrella tank, which is being followed by thousands of undead. Isaacs then contacts Wesker, questioning him about Alice's survival, claiming she has knowledge of the antivirus. Her hands are attached to a rope tied to the tank, and she must continue running to avoid being grabbed by the undead. There's two soldiers monitoring her from atop the tank, and she tricks them by ducking underneath the back. When one of them leans over, she uses him to pull herself up, and in the process, pulls him down and throws him to the zombies. Another soldier investigates the noise and is knocked off the tank. Isaacs senses trouble from watching the cameras and climbs to the top of the tank to take care of Alice himself. They have a brutal knife fight on top and with both of them almost falling off into the crowd of undead several times. While fighting, Alice forces Isaacs to free her, then presses a switch on top of the tank, opening a compartment containing a motorcycle. Isaacs taunts that she will be unable to use it, so she decides to cut off his hand and uses it to turn on the motorcycle and speeds off. Isaacs, in like severe agony, instructs the driver to use the turrets and lock on missiles to try and take her out. And of course he misses and she gets away. Several hours later, she finally arrives at the outskirts of Raccoon City. She sees that the bridge leading to the city has been completely destroyed. So she has to go the long way around through the rubble. As she approaches a spiral tower-like building, a light flashes from above and a heavy object comes crashing down, shattering her motorcycle and knocking her out again. Waking up, she finds herself tied up and surrounded by several armed people, all of them yelling questions at her. She's about to get shot until Claire enters the room and recognizes her. So we get Claire back. Claire orders her to be untied and introduces the people to Alice. Their names are Doc, Christian, Abigail, Michael, and Cobalt. They explain that they have been sheltering in the skyscraper for a while, essentially turning it into a fortress. She collapses from coughing, and Claire takes to the makeshift hospital to receive treatment. While there, Claire explains how she had escaped from Umbrella and got involved with the survivors in the building. Alice says that Isaacs is coming their way and explains her mission to get the antivirus from the hive. Claire is shocked and exclaims that Alice would die if it were to be released. And she simply says whatever it takes. Claire grudgingly agrees to it, but only if she stays to help the survivors defeat Isaacs, which Alice agrees to, and they get to work on the skyscraper's defenses. Alice finds that there isn't much weaponry available, but there's a lot of gasoline. So using this knowledge, they construct catapults to take out the tanks and the undead. Their work completed several hours later, Alice spots Isaacs and his army of dead approaching. She tells the residents to brace themselves and they ready the catapults. So there are two tanks now approaching the building and they catapult a flaming projectile at one of them, destroying it instantly. Isaacs is within the other tank, of course, and instructs his soldiers to bring out the bait. A survivor is released from the tank, with thousands of undead following her, and Alice instructs the residents to open the building for her. As the survivor is about to reach safety, she is shot by a soldier, and some of the undead get into the building before they're able to close it. Isaacs sees his chance 
and instructs Lee to fire the turrets on the roof where Allison's survivors are staying. Meanwhile, Claire, Michael, Cobalt, and Christian are struggling to hold back the undead on the bottom floor. Cobalt gets bitten by one while holding the barricade and dies. In horror, Claire yells to Alice that the barricade won't last any longer, and Alice yells at them to come upstairs, having a plan of her own. Alice and Abigail pour gasoline onto the bottom floor from the roof, light it up with some torches, and incinerate all of the undead on the bottom floor. With all of her companions safe for now, Alice ziplines to the ground and rushes to get to the tank. From within the tank, Lee spots her on the camera and opens fire. Alice hides behind some rubble and is able to get on top of the tank. She pours gasoline onto it, lights a match, and watches as it explodes. However, Lee is somehow able to escape and knocks her to the ground. The two have a quick fight, and Lee wins easily. Kneeling on the ground, Alice lets one of the undead attack Lee from behind, and he's able to dispatch it easily. This leaves him open to counterattack, and Alice seizes the moment, shooting him and seriously wounding him. Alice leaves him to die on the ground and meets up with the other survivors. Two prisoners from inside the tank, the Thin Man and Scars, beg to come along with them. Alice lets them join the group and prompts them to get some gear. She urges everyone to follow her to the hive, and the group make their way to Raccoon City on foot. Unknown to them, Isaacs is still alive and watching them from behind a pile of rubble. He seizes another umbrella tank that is driving by, kills all the occupants, and follows Alice and her companions to the hive. Alice and her group get to the edge of the crater that was once Raccoon City, climb down, and move through the barren wasteland. From within the hive, the Red Queen informs Wesker that they are extremely close to reaching the hive, and he orders the release of monstrous undead dogs, the Cerberus, to keep them at bay. The decaying dogs appear out of nowhere and attack Alice and her companions. They shoot at them and sprint as fast as they can until they reach a cliffside, several survivors becoming casualties due to the Cerberus. Without hesitating, they jump off the cliff and land in the water. They swim to shore and continue onto the hive. Moments later, they finally find the entrance, but the dogs are suddenly in pursuit again. Alice yells at her companions to run, and they finally get inside of the entrance. The dogs stop chasing them once they get through the entrance, and Alice speculates that something inside scares them. Hesitating to enter, the group is unsure of what to do. And watching the group on camera, Wesker orders the entrance to be sealed and the door starts closing. The group rushes through despite the ominous nature of the place. While going through, Alice is suddenly attacked by one of the undead. She's able to barely hold him off and escape before the door closes, crushing the undead to death. Boom! <laughs> the group struggles on until they reach a podium where the Red Queen greets them. She shows them a video of an Umbrella meeting where Isaacs is planning to stage his own apocalypse using the T-Virus, killing everyone on the planet except himself and the other high-ranking Umbrella executives. It's a real dick move, Isaacs. <laughs> the Red Queen explains that she has been programmed not to hurt others, so she's on their side due to the murderous nature of Isaacs' plan. 
At the same time, she's unable to hurt any Umbrella employees, which is why she needs Alice's help. She gives Alice an earpiece so they can communicate wirelessly. Before they leave, the Red Queen informs her that there is a traitor within the group, and Alice shrugs it off, proceeding into the hive. As they walk through the main hallway, they find that the power's been cut and there's a plant fan impeding their progress. The group groans and complains, but Alice simply walks through the motionless blades and instructs the others to do the same. And, of course, the power re-engages. And the group barely makes it through. Watching remotely, Wesker orders the fan to be set to suck in air, which sends the group flying back. Luckily, they're able to hold on to some poles on the ground, but unfortunately, Abigail loses her grip and gets sucked in, which shreds her to bits and the power cuts off again. The devastated group watches in shock and gloomily continues on. Wesker is satisfied that he had killed off yet another member of the group and plans his next trap. So the group finds themselves with an event and are crawling through it when the lights suddenly come on. They stop and await what lies ahead, and when nothing happens, they reluctantly move forward. But suddenly, a section of the floor opens up and the thin man falls into it. It turns out to be a shaft, too deep to climb out of. There's a clear opening underneath him and it opens up, dropping him. He hangs onto the opening, but the door shuts, breaking his fingers and dropping him to his death in a cavern hundreds of feet below. So now only Alice, Claire, Doc, and Michael are left. The doors open up for them as well, hurling Alice down into a dark laboratory and Claire into a glass box. Alice gets up, quietly walking around. She hears a noise and is relieved to find that it's Michael. The two carefully walk around until Michael is attacked by a large bioweapon. He's killed instantly and Alice shoots at it and flees. She leads the monster to a chain, wraps him up in it and flees again, letting the chain go taut. The monster is choked by the chain but still manages to attack her and she shoots it into submission but not before taking another set of injuries. Tired and worn out, she seeks an exit and meets up with Doc. Meanwhile, in the glass box, Claire uses gunpowder to blast a hole and escapes. Alice and Doc enter the laser corridor on the way to the interior of the hive, causing Alice to flash back to the bad memories of what happened the last time she was inside. She tells Doc to hurry, and they get to the other side, finding Kaplan's equipment from 10 years before still lying on the ground. She takes two guns out and gives one to Doc. She inputs commands into the computer, and it turns out to be an elevator, which they take to the bottom floor. During their ride, they spot thousands of bodies in cryogenic storage, which Alice angrily recognizes as high-ranking officials of Umbrella, waiting out the incident. She takes a bag of explosives that she found within Kaplan's bag and asks the doc for help in rigging the hive to explode. In the control room, the Red Queen informs Wesker that Alice will be there soon, and he instructs her to take Isaacs out of cold storage to prepare for her arrival. Back to Alice, her and Doc step off the elevator and find themselves in a cavern, the same one that the thin man had fallen into. 
They cautiously walk past his mutilated body and walk across an illuminated walkway across the water. A voice calls out to them from the other side, and Alice recognizes it as Isaac's. And he leads them to a fancy bunker and demands that they drop their weapons. Alice drops hers, but she notices that Doc hasn't done the same. Revealing himself as the traitor, he points his gun at her and forces her to drop her gun and detonator. Claire walks in moments later with Wesker holding her hostage, and Isaac shows them the antivirus, and Alice looks around for any potential ways to hurt Isaacs. She looks at the table and finds a decanter, fountain pen, and a bust, but Isaacs laughs, telling her not to bother because she won't be able to get to any of them in time. Isaacs explains that he is the original version of himself, plus cybernetic upgrades, and that the Isaacs that Alice had fought on the tank was a clone. Furthermore, Alice herself is a clone. Isaac points to a cryostasis tube inside the room, and an old woman comes out in a wheelchair. He introduces her as Alicia Marcus, the co-owner of Umbrella and the daughter of James Marcus. She is who Alice herself is based on. Isaacs explains that Alicia is not much older than Alice is, but because of the progeria, she appears older. Isaac says that he has been waiting for years for her death, which is the moment when he would be able to assume complete control of Umbrella. Alicia explains that she still owns 50% of the company and scoffs that Wesker is just an employee. Wesker coldly claims that he is loyal to Isaacs, and Alicia fires him, allowing the Red Queen to harm him because she can't harm employees, and he's not an employee anymore. Okay, <clears throat> I just want to say, I love the loophole. I don't ha- love what happens next. Yeah, so what happens next, which we all hate, is she quickly lowers a blast door next to Wesker that crushes his leg. <laughs> That's a bitch way to go out, Wesker. Yeah. It immobilizes him and causes him a slow but fatal injury. Claire is freed in the process, and Isaacs runs away, heading back to the main computer to transfer complete control of the company to himself. Claire shoots Doc in the head for his betrayal, and Alice leaves the detonator in Wesker's hand, knowing that once he goes unconscious, it'll go off. Alicia gives the two the antivirus and tells them that they must hurry and get to the surface to use it before Isaacs gets there. They head off in pursuit of Isaacs and corner him in an elevator and find that he has inhuman strength and speed, allowing him to dodge all of their bullets. Claire becomes incapacitated and she yells at Alice to go ahead. Isaacs traps Alice in the laser corridor and turns the power on. She successfully dodges all of them and, unamused, Isaacs rushes in to attack her himself. He lands several devastating blows on Alice and, sneering, cuts off her fingers using the laser grid. When Alice is on the edge of defeat, she laughs. She reveals that while Isaacs has been cutting off her fingers, she has pulled the pen to the grenade inside of his pocket. The grenade explodes, bringing Isaacs to the point of death. 
Alice sprints to the exit of the hive and makes out just as the detonator falls out of Wesker's hand and blows up the facility. She's about to release the antivirus when the barely alive Isaacs approaches and catches it before it hits the ground and breaks. He holds her at gunpoint and is about to shoot her when suddenly his clone rushes up to the two, having led an entire army of undead to the area. The real Isaacs tells the clone that he is fake, and in retaliation, the clone Isaacs viciously stabs the original Isaacs to death, allowing Alice to get the antivirus. The clone Isaacs is bit by an undead, and Alice finally has the chance to release the antivirus. It shatters, and all infected individuals within the vicinity collapse and die instantly. Alice collapses, and the world goes dark. Several hours later, Alice wakes up, finding that Claire had also made it out. She wonders how she's still alive because she has been infected with the T-virus. The Red Queen appears and explains that the antivirus had only eradicated Alice's infected cells, but left her healthy cells untouched, allowing her to survive. It's also revealed that before she died, Alicia uploaded memories of her childhood for Alice, allowing her to have a semblance of her childhood back. Alice weeps at this and vows to continue her mission. Finally, Alice is seen riding her motorcycle heading towards downtown Manhattan. She explains that it'll take several years for the antivirus to completely eradicate the T-virus, and until then, her mission is not over. Whew, what a plot. That was a lot. Dear Lord, enough. <laughs> It is, actually, because it's the final chapter, and that is it. Yeah, For the Paul Anderson movies, anyways. <sighs> that movie was everywhere and nowhere all at once. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, so that's it for our plot. So, I guess it's time for our mid-break. <laughs> Well, here we are in the middle of the show, Ariel. It's awful middly in here. <laughs> you know what we do first? We thank our wonderful, awesome, amazing patrons. Oh, yes, we do. Such as our VIP patrons, Oracle, Barry King, Cerberus91, Chaoticia, Chris Slate, Dedaug47, <laughs> Everything Res Evil, Glenn Meeks, Jay Zoobs, Jeremy Kelly, Kyle Wilson, Lord Salzar, Mystery Bemo, Naked Mango, Star Power Bitches. <laughs> yeah. The Compound, The Pumpkin King, The Seven Sins, and William Jackson. We also have to thank our All Access patrons Antique 2 Gen Z, Donnie Shanks, Edward Parks, Remington Cloutier. We have to thank our official patrons, Quattro Hawkes, Ryan Black, Santa B72, and some random guy. So, thank you to our patrons. You're wonderful, you're amazing, and you let this show keep going. Yeah, thank you so much. We do greatly appreciate it. And we do greatly appreciate listeners as well, because you are also just as awesome. Because without you, we wouldn't have a show. No show. 
Hey, Ariel, before we get into the mid-breaky stuff, yeah. I think we should remind everyone, since it's coming up soon, that we will be at Gen Con. Woo! And I ordered our shirts today, so Ariel will be in the classic Resident Evil shirt. The lower cast shirt. Yeah, I'll be wearing the Resident Evil Lorecast tank top because it's going to be hot as fuck. <laughs> so. Danny Boy will be in his sharp shot outfit. Outfit? <laughs> a shirt? Yeah, it's just a shirt. And uh, I'll be in the Legend of Zelda Lorecast shirt. So just okay. look for us. Okay, Daniel. You need to wear your sharp shot shirt, but you need to wear the Santa suit over it. Yes. Anybody that's listened to the cyberpunk TTRPG show will know what I'm saying. Don't have a Santa business suit. (laughs) Get one, bitch. Got time. Yeah, you do. So anyway, yeah, if you see us and you want to come say hi, more than welcome to. Come say hi. Come chill with us. Or you can say bye there. Bye there. (laughs) But anyway, we'll be there uh, on the Saturday, which is the 5th of August. I love how you say that, like, question, question mark, mark, like, 5th of <laughs> August? Yeah, it's the 5th of August. So, yeah, we'll be there on the 5th of August. Gen Con in Indy. Yes. So, with that being said, Daniel, what do you have for the mid-break? What? I didn't what? bring anything. No, I did bring something. I don't think I've covered this before because I think it is newer coming out. But if you're interested in the different statues on Pure Arts... Dot com, there is a Resident Evil 3 Jill Valentine quarter scale statue, Stars Edition. Only 500 of them are being made for the 25th anniversary. It is Jill in her Stars tactical outfit, and she's being attacked by three zombies as she is jumping backwards and firing at them. Looks like the delivery for these are estimated of quarter three of 2023, and they will ship to the USA, Canada, UK, Europe, Middle East, the Russian Federation, Australia, and New Zealand. It's made out of polyresin and licensed by Capcom. As far as size goes, it is 22 inches tall, 17 and a half inches wide, and it weighs a good 13 pounds. Dang. Holy shit. The fun thing is the price, as it runs $949. Why didn't they just make it $950? I could not tell you there. I do not have shipping on this, what the cost of that is. It probably depends on where you're at and the weight of it together. $949. The shipping should be free. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Keep wishing. But if you want to look at this statue, we'll have a link for it in the show notes, but you can also find it on purearts.com. If you look, look up the Resident Evil 3 Jill Valentine Quarter Scale Statue Stars Edition. And that is what I have for my merch. Well, thank you, Daniel, for bringing that oh-so-stupidly-expensive statue. <laughs> but well done. It's super well done. Oh, I want it, but it's too expensive. <laughs> All right, Ariel, what'd you bring? Well, I read an article, much like I always do. And this one comes from Game Rant, and the title is Resident Evil 4 Leak Narrows Down Separate Ways DLC Release Date. 
Sweet. <laughs> yes. A known leaker has narrowed down the release date of Separate Ways DLC for RE4. In addition to sharing some new insight into the much-rumored expansion. While Capcom has yet to officially confirm that its critically acclaimed remake will actually receive separate ways, a few recently data-mined RE4 files already pointed to the return of this fan-favorite story mode. The RE4 remake cut some content from the original, although Capcom probably signaled that not all such removal removals would be permanent. It first did so by launching the Mercenaries mode as a free DLC on April 7th, just two weeks into the game's release, inspiring hope among the fandom that the Separate Ways content will follow suit. The company has been mum on additional post-launch content for its hit game ever since, but this period of radio silence won't last for long, according to known leaker Dusk Gollum. The insider took to Twitter on June 16th to predict that the Separate Ways DLC for the RE4 remake will be revealed before the end of the year, with the implication being that it could release no later than early 2024, at least if Capcom's track record with post-launch content is any indication. For clarity, the Japanese company has historically unveiled RE expansions within months or even weeks of their market debuts. Regardless of the mounting evidence that Separate announcement is only a matter of time, what remains to be seen is whether this likely addition to RE4 will be the last piece of DLC for the remake. Namely, the original had one final bonus mode in the form of Assignment Ada, which would theoretically be even easier to remake seeing how much shorter it was compared to Separate Ways. Yet the fact that this non-canon experience that's not exactly high on the fandom's wish list for future RE4 DLC makes it dubious whether Capcom will actually go through the trouble of reimagining it. After all, there's yet to be any indication that Assignment 8 is part of the RE4 remake's Mad Map. So, that's what I got. Be excited, everyone that is looking forward to a separate ways for the RE4 remake. Yeah, because I want to know what the hell's going on with Lewis and uh, <laughs> Ada. Uh, heck yeah, that was fun in the original, doing mm -hmm. the separate ways it was fun. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it's my turn. So I brought uh, something that Ariel would like. <clears throat> this is a Resident Evil Tyrant plush collectible from Merchoid. A little squishy version of what you just recently got. I know. I finally, listeners, I finally, finally got my tyrant statue. Yes. Yes. We had to get it directly from Skull, but, you know, that's yeah, okay. Whatever. I don't care. I Thumb got Skull it. Skull did a good I'm job. Excited. But uh, so this tyrant plush collectible is currently on pre-orders and it is pre-orderable right now for $40.99. It is due to ship in August. So, get ready for that. It's kind of like uh, we did the um, plush Cerberus. Cerberus? Cerberus. Cerberus. Uh, we did the plush Cerberus earlier. Uh, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just the tyrant this time. So, uh, it looks pretty cool. Carbon neutral creation. So, that's pretty cool too. They recycled to make it. Yay. 
they recycled old tyrants <laughs> to make it? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Actually, it is kind of, it's cute. It's, it's cute. Not, that's terrifying. That is Even that's, in a plushy form. cute. <sighs> well, if you want it, the link will down in the show notes below. So that's it. That's the end of the mid break. Except where I talk about the sponsor. So roll on over to Fanroll Dice. Use our promo code AllMightyC10, which is A L L Mighty, the letter C and 10, and save yourself 10% off a set of dice or whatever it is your little dice heart desires in the form of dice accessories. So they have like dice towers, dice trays, and dice bags, and that type of stuff. And they have different sets of dice like metal, resin, silicone, wooden, gemstone, a bunch of beautiful sets of dice. All at very good prices. Plus, you can save 10% off by using our promo code. So, uh, roll on over and do it. Do it now. Before a tyrant attacks you. <laughs> do it. Do it now. <laughs> oh, my god! And the link for all of that will be in the show notes as well. The promo code and the link to Fanroll Dice. So, with that, it really is time to go to the end of the episode well here we are at the end of the episode Danny you know what time it is tool time it's B.O.W. time okay get them Christmas bows ready let's go thought we had a different sponsor (laughs) alright so the B.O.W.s we have are of course the zombies the Cerberus or zombie dogs rawr we also have the large bioweapon, which is codenamed Bloodshot. Okay, I uh, just want to stop you real quick there. I love that they put him in that because it's a different BOW that we haven't seen before in any of the movies. And he's from RE6 game. Oh. Basically, yes. That's where, <laughs> they, that's where the idea was from. Yeah, I love it because it's it's not a liquor. It's not, you know, it's... Something we've never seen before, and I love that. Okay, continue. We also have the Capepio, and one that is from the novelization known as the Melange. Melange? Maybe pronouncing it wrong. I believe it's based off a French word. That is what we will get into on the next episode for the bioweapons. So, Ariel, who you got for characters? Oh boy, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. We have Alice, Alicia Marcus, Isaacs, Claire, Wesker, Doc, Michael, Abigail, Christian, Cobalt, Young Alicia Marcus, Red Queen, James Marcus, The Thin Man, Emaciated Woman, Commander Chu, Scars, One Ear, Commander Crunch. (laughs) That name. I think that's before he visits the captain. And I want to say this just because it's funny. Hero Zombie. I think that's like a double negative, isn't it? Hero Zombie. That and that is my characters. Hero Zombie. All right, so I've been promising Easter eggs for a while, but I brought some other things too. 
So at the beginning of this episode, Daniel didn't have an answer as to why production got pushed back a couple times. I actually have that answer. I was wanting to see if you did. So I've got Easter eggs and behind the scenes for majority of the series and this movie in particular. You ready for this? No. <laughs> so first we're going to go with the first time as to why the movie was pushed back. It was actually almost canceled. So I won't go into the gory details, but uh, stunt woman Olivia Jackson was hurt during the production of this movie, like super badly, almost life threatening injuries. Um, she was so badly hurt that they had to medically induce a coma for 17 days. And because of all of this, Paul Anderson nearly quit the entire project because he was so freaking devastated and so pissed that the production teams caused such an issue here to almost take someone's life. Instead, however, Mila Jovovich visited Jackson in the hospital, brought her flowers, and convinced Jackson to sue the company for workplace injuries. So they continued the project and basically told the stunt lady, like, make sure you sue these assholes because they're idiots. But because of that, the movie was delayed the first time and Paul almost quit. Dang. Did she make like an okay recovery, though? She did. She did make an okay recovery. I will say, unfortunately, um, her arm had to be amputated because of these injuries. Um, so all the best to to her um i checked up on her she's doing well she's doing all right um but yeah that it's pretty devastating behind the scenes shit there as to why the movie was delayed the first time um and that isn't the only incident of on scene incidents for this movie uh which actually led to paul anderson never working with this production company like the the setup crew ever again like and i'm pretty sure 90 percent of the staff was fired because they also had that incident and while they were filming in south africa they also had a humvee slide off of a rotating platform crushing a crew member jesus mm -hmm. and that was why if you look at the end of the film there was a dedication because it was the, the whole movie was dedicated to Ricardo Cornelius because he actually lost his life in that. So, um, but that was the second time the movie was delayed and almost didn't come out. If it wasn't for the cast and crew to push Paul Anderson to continue production of the movie, we never would have had the final chapter because at this point, Paul was just done with the bullshit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't freaking blame him. Right. Uh, but um, yeah so there's your what the fucks for this movie <laughs> holy shit I didn't yeah. know all that mm -hmm. so uh, let's talk about some goofies you ready mm -hmm. talk about some goofies so in this movie at the beginning Alice gives a history of the Umbrella Corporation and during that, she says that the T-virus was created by Dr. Marcus for his daughter to prevent rapid aging. 
it completely contradicts the original Resident Evil Apocalypse movie where she establishes it being created by Dr. Ashford. Yeah, I <laughs> when I first watched this movie, I thought that. So they kind of recanted this in the novelization of the movie. And in the novelization, it explains that Dr. Ashford created the virus almost against his will for Dr. Marcus for his daughter. Wait, so they both created it for their daughters. They both created it. Original formula in the book, it basically explains the original formula was created by Dr. Ashford, and then it was altered for Dr. Marcus for his daughter. Yeah, but it was for both their daughters. Mm -hmm. One was to help one daughter walk. The other one was to help stop the aging. Yes. If possible. Yeah. So... It's it's continuity wise. It was for it was both of them that created it. So uh, because that was the first thing I said when the movie kicked off to Ariel was that's bullshit because Dr. Asher created the apocalypse movies. (laughs) You're full of shit. (laughs) So uh, another continuity error in the Resident Evil Extinction movie is that Dr. Isaacs is under Albert Wesker's command. But in the newest movie, Isaacs is in charge of, and Albert Wesker is just an employee. Yeah. Well, I almost wonder if that falls under the the clone and original thing, though. Because the clone was in charge of, or was the underling when Wesker was in charge. But in the last, this movie... It was the real Isaacs. Yes. So that I could see maybe that's why you know, they did it. You know what? That's so maybe not, it's not a continuity error. Maybe it's not. But still, I'm counting it as a continuity error. Yeah, I get what, you, get what you mean. <laughs> so another continuity error is the final chapter was supposed to take place 10 years after the outbreak in Raccoon City, but it is impossible. Because in the original Resident Evil, it takes place in 2002. Resident Evil Apocalypse takes place only a day or at most a few days after the first one, Extinction takes place five years after the first outbreak, putting it in the timeline of 2007, and then Afterlife takes place 18 months after Extinction, placing it in 2009. Retribution then takes place directly after Afterlife, and the final chapter takes place three weeks after Retribution. This would mean that it's only six to seven years have passed in Raccoon City, not ten time works different when it's an apocalypse. <laughs> uh, so another continuity error is when Alice is driving to the hive and her car runs over spike strips and then under a tractor trailer, which rips off the top, the next scene shows the car crashing into a telephone pole. The scene where it hits the pole, the roof is still on the freaking car. <laughs> and in the next scene, it's gone. <laughs> They probably recorded the crash scene first. Oh, it gets better because in the next scene after that, it's back again and the telephone pile wires are on top of the car and then it's gone again as Alice exits the car. So fucked in that scene. The minute I saw it was like, what is happening? (laughs) The car has what we call plot armor. It's got a plot armor roof. Magic magic plot armor. It's there when it needs to be and gone when it's... Uh, 
Oh my god. So another continuity error is at the end of the air intake scene, Alice stares at the camera. But on the next take, on her screen image, she looks above instead of staring right into it. So she's first staring into the camera, then she looks above it, and then she looks at the camera. So some fun little behind the scenes goofs that they made. All right, you ready for some Easter eggs throughout the series? Bring it on. Okay. <clears throat> so this may be, I know I talked about a few of these before when we first started going through these movies. So it may be a recap on some of the Easter eggs, but in case you missed it, we're going to say them again. So first one, the umbrella logo is on absolutely every freaking thing in these movies. Everything. Cars, bullets, helicopters, armor, mind control devices. It is on everything. Yep. <laughs> nope, nope, not everything. Oh? The Humvee in the beginning of the final chapter had BSAA on it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, so one vehicle made it past the thing. <laughs> so, in the end of the movie where you're talking about today, final chapter, uh, the fight between Alice and and Isaacs is an exact mirror fight of the fight in Resident Evil 4 between Leon and Krauser. And this was their attempt at a nod at the quick time events in Resident Evil 4. Huh. Uh, another one is obviously Leon's look in the Resident Evil 4 two and six games was combined in the Resident Evil Retribution movie. So uh, we talked about the mansion, the infamous mansion from the Resident Evil series. Who knows it by heart? Ariel. The Spencer Mansion. That's right. The Spencer Mansion. <clears throat> so the Spencer Mansion uh, was actually Alice's fake husband's name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spence. Yep. In the uh well, we obviously talked about it in the first episode that the mansion was supposed to be a nod at the original Resident Evil 1 mansion. Uh the fight with Wesker looks almost exactly like it does in the games. So when Chris and Sheva fight Wesker in Resident Evil 5, it is a step by step orientation on how they fight uh, how the Redfields fight him in Afterlife. So yeah, in Afterlife, when they fight, it is step-by-step, play-by-play between the same fight that Chris and Sheva fight Wesker with. Yeah. So uh, Claire's Revelations look is actually transpired when the final chapter. So Claire in the final chapter is a look-by-look copy from the uh, Revelations games. Yeah. I didn't even I never uh, didn't even think of that. So uh, I don't think it needs to be nodded at. Jill Valentine was the big baddie. Uh, this was a nod to what happens in Resident Evil 5. Not really you know that didn't really go over many people's heads. Uh, the movie makes fun of the games. 
How so? Throughout the entire series in the games, when you kill zombies and you leave the room and come back, the zombies are gone. Okay. In the movies, that happens throughout the movies randomly. You know, yeah. Because, <laughs> especially in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that. Another thing you'll notice is that when characters that were in the game series are injured, they will hold their bodies like they did in the games in caution states. Okay, yeah. So when Claire's... Uh, sorry, when Jill was injured when she first appeared, she was holding her side and limping. It's exactly the way she would do it throughout the games. When Leon was hurt, he was holding across his chest and limping. It it literally every character. Oh. Okay, now that you say <laughs> that, yeah. Um the next one is the Cerberus chase scene in the final chapter. It actually copies the original chase scene in the Resident Evil 1 game where the Stars members are running towards Spencer Mansion. Okay. It is camera okay. for camera run by run shot of the original chase scene. So, uh, long-time fans of the Resident Evil series will already know this one, but the final film nods directly towards the father of the T-Virus, James Marcus, whom you may also know from Resident Evil Zero. <laughs> so, we talked about it. The zombie, Some of the zombies in Afterlife are tribute zombies, tribute Majini, because at this time Resident Evil Five has also was also a popular game coming out. So that's your tribute zombies there. However, they were so well received that they continued to alter the Majini to continue having them throughout the series after. Though they shouldn't have been zombies per se. Mm, yeah, I mean, same as the Lost Plagas Undead. Yes. Yeah. They weren't zombies either. Uh, Just in case you didn't catch it the first time, I know I talked about this Easter egg. Uh, The head of Capcom, the publisher of the Resident Evil series, are always zombie extras in the first Resident Evil film. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I know I talked about that one when we talked about the first Resident Evil movie, but just in case you missed it, you can go back and check those out. So, the Red Queen, throughout the series, is actually played by Mila Jovovich's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did know that one. So, uh, Daniel already spoiled it, but in the final chapter, Alice is seen driving a Jeep that has BSAA on the side of it. But I like how it's never addressed that it exists in the movies. So, another one is uh, Ada Wong, actually. Uh, Ada Wong brings a a gun to a knife fight. (laughs) So, when Alice first meets up with Ada, 
they engage in hand-to-hand fight that ends with Alice threatening Ada with a knife to her throat. These moves were copied step-by-step from Ada's fight with Leon in Resident Evil 4. Yeah, in the castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the next one is the get-to-the-chopper scene. Get-to-the-chopper. <laughs> so, in Resident Evil 3, uh, Jill Valentine meets up with Delta Platoon. We know all of this. Uh, however... The same moniker that is on the helicopter that Carlos flies over in Resident Evil film is the exact same one we see in Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. So the side of the helicopter is the exact same helicopter from Resident Evil 3. Huh. Uh, And that is changed anytime you see a chopper that is the same make and model in the movies, you'll see the monikers change slightly. This is this is why I held this back for a while. (laughs) So, uh, as Ariel said, this one is not so crazy. The Axeman. We all know where the Axeman's from. Executioner. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason the Axeman's name was changed was because during production, Resident Evil 5 hadn't come out yet. So they didn't want to spoil it. And since Capcom was worried about leaks, the name was Axeman. Boo. So the next one is uh, Mila Jovovich's eye. (laughs) So in every film, there is a close-up of Mila Jovovich's eye. And this is a nod to the every Resident Evil monster eye weakness. I see. (laughs) So this was their nice little nod of this is Alice's weak point. It's her eyes. (laughs) That nobody ever nobody ever picked up on. Yeah. But uh, this was supposed to be a nod at every monster you know worth their weight has in the Resident Evil franchise their weakness is their eyeballs. So this was also supposed to be a nice little nod there. Uh, Albert Wesker is constantly wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Just like he does in the games. And the actor who portrayed Wesker said that it was one of the hardest things he'd ever done trying to use sunglasses indoors during dark scenes of filming. To wear sunglasses at night. <laughs> I was singing that song in my head. I wear my uh, so there's uh there's some tidbits. Uh and that's what we got here, but I will be digging to see if I can't find some more uh I just I just happened upon these when I was looking for easter eggs, these uh trivias with the stunt crew and everything else. I'm going to dig through for the next episode see if I can't find any more. Yeah. So, but that's all I got today for easter eggs and cool behind the scenes stuff on Nah, some not so cool behind the scenes stuff because the first two sucked <laughs> well anyway that's it we have for this episode next episode we're going to be talking uh, we're just going to be doing discussion episode right talk some yeah. BOW's characters and discussion right yep so until next time thank you for listening
See you next week. Bye. Bye there. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.